Football is about the Jimmys and Joes and X's and O's. Blue 58! Blue 58! Check New York Bozo! New York Bozo! 28, Baker Bruce! It's time to get out the chalkboard and diagram some plays. Here's where it all starts right here. Let's play! G-Money Christmas! What the hell's going on out here? This is Inside Football with former Colts and NFL coach Rick Venturi. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Inside Football here with Rick Venturi. I'm your host, Matt Taylor, and the Colts are coming back again this week. We're talking about the 7-5 and five Colts now and the upcoming matchup against the 6-6 six and six Bengals this Sunday in Week 14 in mid-December. The Colts are on a four-game winning streak for the first time since 2018 and they remain in the mix in the AFAFC playoff standings and this is shaping up to be a huge game for the Colts on Sundays the Bengals they're still in the hunt and the AFC South door for the Colts hasn't been completely shut by the Jaguars either so a lot going on here Rick Venturi this is getting fun with five games to go in the regular season here yeah you know just 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 to follow up on what you just said I'm not sure Matt I remember when I can remember when one night, Monday night, changed everything, changed the entire la- landscape of the AFC, no and doubt. totally changed the perception of a team and a player. I mean, I had done all the tape going into Monday night, <laughs> and I, you know, I didn't see it, and all of a sudden, after Monday, we're looking at a whole different world, you know. And again, you know, throw out another quarterback. I mean, there goes Lawrence, there goes Pickett. And, you know, in a world of backup quarterbacks, I'm pretty confident that we have the very best. <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean, there's backup quarterbacks galore. And, you know, give the <laughs> I think the culture winning some games uh, back in March with that signing in free agency with Gardner yes, Minshew. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yes, with that, sir. A lot of familiarity there with, with Shane Steichen <laughs> and Gardner Minshew. So we'll, we'll dive into the Bengals here in just a moment. Yep. Obviously, we're going to roll out those blueprints. But. Uh, let's get your final thoughts on all three phases for the Colts after that thrilling overtime win in Tennessee. It was just like we talked yeah. about on our Monday night show, Colts Roundtable Live, another gutsy performance by the Colts, a really good complimentary game by the team. You had some uh, clutch performances there, obviously, from Gardner Minshew and Michael Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce. Uh, Rick, you had six more sacks by the defense, uh, a bunch of three and outs in the second half. Now you're going to get Grover Stewart back, which we'll talk about, and then essentially two block punts on special teams to set up 10 points for the Colts on a day when you know situational football was kind of a struggle. So put a, a, a bow on the, the Titans win for the Colts to boost them up to 7-5. and five. Yeah, well, you know, as I told you Monday night, I said if anybody from now on asked me, if I've ever seen this play before, I will say yes, I did in yeah. Nashville in 223 because we saw everything. And I think I, you know, I, I think we all have to probably recalibrate a little bit with this team. You know, this is a team, and it was so evident Sunday more than any other week. This team just, you know, Steichen and the band of brothers, they just refused to lose. I mean, they they could have let it get away all the way to the three points in the overtime and just never let it. We, I think we got conditioned around here that we would kind of find a way to lose. And this is a team that just found a way to win. And you're right, all phases had a lot to do with it. But I'm going, you know, again, direct game ball, the game ball, has to go to Coach Mason and his gang. I mean, basically those guys, you know, at the end of that third quarter, getting close to the end of that third quarter, it was really, really nip and tuck, and you didn't feel like you had it. As a matter of fact, I think we felt a little uneasy and then we just slaughtered them. I mean, the two, the two fourth down plays, the, the you know, the both of them blocked kicks. One's a fumble, but what the heck? I mean, they got that. 
you know, and I hated to see the kicker go down, but I also think that, you know, that did affect the extra point. I watched it over and over. Well, it was, it, it's a fairly clean hole, but it isn't in a way, you know, and then I also thought that our, our return game wasn't bad, you know, particularly the, the one in the first quarter after they went down and just scored on us so fast and then McKenzie took that 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 kick back out to about the fifty, and it was like a quick, quick answer. So, you know, I, I don't know what you can say about the special teams. That we've had a lot of really good performances, but that that has to be the signature for a long time. And you know, then I think that the guys you mentioned on offense, I, you know, first time that we've had two one hundred yard receivers, and we need that. We've got to have that if we're going to be a real contender. Um, and you know, to see. You know, Pierce finally take the top off the defense. That's why we drafted him. You know, he's a legitimately speed guy that's just kind of, you know, just kind of been not there this year. Uh, you know, although the last few weeks he's been getting there a little bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, all of a sudden to blow by him, to get the winning touchdown, the winning score. And, and you know, and then Pittman just continues. And I, I think – I think that Shane has really figured out exactly how to use Pittman. I mean, he is terrific receiver between the numbers. Like I said, and I mean this totally as a compliment, he's like a Hall of Fame tight end in a wide receiver's body because he makes all the dirty work plays, everything inside, all you know. And 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 I I just think that's great. And Minshew still no Minshew still gets a lot of he, he doesn't get enough love to me. I mean. You know, I know it's imperfect, and there's, you know, there's a there's a turnover you can blame on him if the ball gets stripped. You know, the quarterback is always going to be imperfect, but you know, to step up there with the game on the line and throw that dime, I'm, like I said, I said this earlier just a minute ago to you. You know, in a land of all backup quarterbacks in the National Football League, we definitely have the best, and I'll defend him all the way. I think he's playing really good. I mean, he's 15th in the league. He's in the middle in QBR. But we're seven and five, and I, I don't believe we'd be seven and five without him. And then defensively, you're exactly right. Our front four is ruining quarterbacks' lives, and that's that's really saving us. It's saving us in a lot of ways because turnovers and sacks end up masking a lot of things on defense. And we're you know there's a there's a group up there at the top, but we're number two in takeaways, and we're number two in sacks in the National Football League, and that just makes such a difference. Like I said, they're equalizers. And the two guys, though, I really want to highlight. I mean, I, I could definitely highlight Buckner and definitely high, highlight Dio for what they're doing, but I think the two guys that are really making it, that had the four, that had the four sacks between them, and they, and they are really legitimate, not hustle sacks, not sacks at the line of scrimmage, but Ebukan, I really believe, has become a league force. I mean, I think he's a guy now that when people look at the tape, they're looking at our blind side. They're saying that 52 now can come off that edge. We got to do something about that, you know. And he has that stripping ability as well. I mean, he is really exploding. And then Quiddy's just getting better and better. Again, the majority of Quiddy sacks are hustle sacks, second effort sacks, and that's why he's a perfect complement to Ebukan on this on the on the power side on the left side but then Sunday I thought that his hump move before the end of the game in which it was a freak play but in which he ended up it would to me it was a strip sack but it ended up it ended up being better than that because it ended up being a fumble that you can't advance and they were just 
they were a half a first down away from kicking a winning field goal with 20 seconds to go. And that forced fumble right there made it second and 17 and took him right. It took him right out of the whole thing. So, yeah, those two guys, along with everybody else, mm-hmm. but those two guys are giving us tremendous edge pressure, which then just makes – and Buckner's always double. So you're only going to get so much production even though he's battling. But, you know, you're seeing Lewis and Dio take advantage of that, you know, constantly. So, you know, again, really um, – again, really, really – a fun game, uh, and I, I just think a win like this, uh, you know, to have to go through all we went through to get it, all 68 minutes, uh, was a tremendous effort. Uh, I think the emergence of the deep ball, which we haven't had, we've been playing on a 15-yard field vertically to me the whole season, and all of a sudden the emergence of the deep ball, which now the defense has to say, uh-oh, that guy can beat us. Uh, and I, I think ancillary-wise, it gives Shane now a little bit more confidence to let it go. certainly gives Gardner the confidence. And, and I, I just think a, a win like that, because of those issues, can have so much effect on you going forward. I, as I said, I think the wind is at our back. Uh, it's on to Cincinnati. And uh, they just, you know, we talk about this, and this will be fun on the bus ride over, but, I mean, they just get bigger. <laughs> and bigger and bigger no doubt about it all right let's talk about week 14 up next are the six and six cincinnati Bengals, rick and they snapped a three-game losing streak uh, by beating the jaguars 34 31 in overtime on monday night football it was a wild game not a lot of people saw the uh, Bengals winning that game because backup <laughs> quarterback jake browning uh, was making just his second career start, and he notched his first career win by completing 86% of his passes. And, you know, like we set up, uh, said in the setup, it's shaping up to be just an incredibly important game right now because the Bengals, with that win, they're still in the mix, right? Right now they rank 10th in the AFC playoff standings, but a win for them on Sunday, that would shoot them up the board. They would be 7-6. and six tied with the Colts, but they would hold the head-to-head tiebreaker with the Colts with four games to play. Um, So, Rick, I mean, everybody's – they've counted the Bengals out after Joe Burrow's wrist injury a couple of weeks ago. But here comes Jake Browning, and he proved to be a very competent and capable quarterback as the Bengals won their first Monday night football road game since 1990 a couple of days ago. So what do we need to know about these Browning Bengals now here on the big picture here? Not only the revived Bengals to make it a bigger game, they also, on a very optimistic note, mm-hmm. is, is they brought the Jaguars back to us. I mean, you know, there's there's nothing impossible here, particularly with that with that injury, to, you know, to Lawrence. There's nothing that isn't possible if you you just have to take care of business. But you know, I looked at it. I don't know why it hit me, but. You know, you're only an hour from the Magic Kingdom there in Disneyland, and this guy just had a magical performance. You know, I think I think Zach Taylor did a good job. You know, I thought I, I was getting so sick of watching those screams early in the game, but I think what he did was he, you know, he just got him some confidence, and I've seen coaches do that, kind of worked him into it. And then he just had that phenomenal, I mean, 32 of 37. Who has an 84 or 86 QBR? That that just does not happen, you know, against a defense that we certainly respect. Right, so, while throwing for know, 356 they, yards. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, we're, you know, 
So I mean, it was it was staggering. I was one of those guys. I had I had watched their tape, and you know, it looked to me like after Burrow, they were just reeling that they were going to try to be relevant at mm-hmm. all. And then, boom, this hit like this. So, again, Browning, you know, he found it in Jacksonville. One thing about him, he he really is athletic and competitive. I had said that even before the game Monday. I don't think that he has the exceptional arm and the accuracy of Burrow, but certainly certainly he could have proved me wrong on Monday. He was a star. Now, we know this, and, you know, getting getting Higgins back – and, you know, getting Brown as a change-up, uh, they are really good on the uh, on the perimeter, on the skills. I mean, they're, they're probably as good as any team collectively as mm-hmm. you're going to face. Um, you know, Chase is just sensational. I mean, there isn't anything he can't do. You know, he's, he's always, to me, in the argument for absolutely number one guy in the league. I mean, there's four or five of them. But you're not going to argue if he isn't number one, and there's nothing he can't do. He can he can get on top of you. He can run routes, body control, catch it, run with it. I mean, he is sensational. So that gives them a number one ambient. I think Mixon is, you know, I think Mixon is very, very good. I mean, he has uh, a ton of total yards. He's a really a true dual-purpose guy. Uh, you know, that can run it and hammer, has enough bounce. And then he's very effective in the passing game, particularly the screen game. When they're in trouble in a game, they're going to get that to him on Mm -hmm. the screen. And then Chase Brown, the kid from Illinois, fifth-round draft choice, comes in kind of out of nowhere. I hadn't even seen him on tape. And he comes in. What he does is he just brings a little bit more speed and burst. He's a totally different kind. He's smaller not nearly as powerful, um, you know, as Mixon, but he comes in there and all of a sudden he can get on the edge, he can run a draw, he can pop a, you know, it just was a really good compliment. I mean, you know, he ended up at the end of the night, I think, about a 6.7 running the ball. So you add that, you added that to it. That was a compliment. And then, of course, their other receivers are role players, but they're all pretty good. I mean, Higgins has been out for a long time. So he comes back in. He gives them that lengthy, uh, you know, he, he doesn't have big numbers this year, but he's got to remember he's been out. But he is a big-time possession receiver, not fast, but, you know, he's long at 6'4", 220. He's got real length. He's always been able to catch a 50-50 ball, kind of a red zone threat. And then Boyd, you know, he's been there forever, and he's just a classic slot, and he gets better when Higgins is there, when he then becomes the third target, that makes him better. And where he's really good is in the possession game, uh, you know, the options, the pivots. And so when you start to go double the other guys or work on the other guys, he gets a lot of one-on-one inside, and that's kind of how they use him. Now, I think their tight end Hudson is a guy that's emerging. Now, I, I've noticed that even before Monday and uh, I think Browning really likes him as a security blanket, the tight end. But he's also a guy he can run. I mean, they'll they'll run him on the seams, on the all goes, and you know they'll they'll find ways to get him the ball. So you know, as I said, tremendous skill team. You know, to go around with Browning that's hot. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think with Browning you have to be a little bit more alert for things like bootleg, quarterback movement. You know, they've adapted to having him in the game. Big RPOs, 
So, you know, they're, they're, you have to play him a little bit different than you would play Burrow, to tell you the truth. Now, again, their offensive line uh, is, is struggling. Uh, they look good on paper, but I don't think they play that way. Um, you know, if you look at them, they're, they're last in the league in rushing, which is surprising, but they are. Um, you know, they're, they're 32 in the league. Uh, and then also they're 23 with, in sacks. So, you know, the offensive line has its problems. I think both Brown on the left uh, and Williams on the right, even though they're kind of investment, high draft pick type guys, I think they really have – I think they're going to have trouble with our edge guys. I don't think they're athlete enough. They're big, strong guys, but they struggle. And then their guards are really, really stiff in there. So, I mean, that's the issue. I guess what's really interesting is Cincinnati is 22 in total offense and 32 in total defense, which is mind-boggling after the last two uh, after the last two years. Now, the defense to me, which maybe is the biggest surprise in this, I thought going in, and I, you know, they 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 had to score a lot of points to win. To be honest with you, defense has kind of fallen over the cliff, you know. Uh, Lou Anarumo does a, you know, he is, you know, he was considered the probably defensive guru, you know, in January, Matt, they were number six in the league and fewest, you know, fewest points given up. So, I mean, this was an elite defense, which hasn't played that way at all. I mean, they've been very, you know, they've been soft against the run, you know, they're 31st in rush defense per, they're giving up 4.8 a run. And it's and it's soft when you look at it on film, right up inside. You know they give up a lot of big plays in the secondary. Um, you know losing losing Taylor Britt uh, to IR. I guess he was put on IR today. They you yeah. know that's their best corner, so they give up a lot of big big plays in the back end. I don't think they tackle very well. Now on the other side of it, they have a couple really good edge guys. I mean Hendrickson is eleven and a half sacks. You know he's the free agent that they got a couple years ago from New Orleans and he's lived up to the billing and he's always on the right side. They don't move him and that's a good thing. He'll be he'll be on Ryman over there and Hubbard who's a little bit different kind of guy but very very solid who's been out and just came back like a week ago. He's a power rusher and I do we'll get into that. I do worry about that uh if uh you know Freeland again has to play. I do, I worry about the power rusher on him, uh, you know Wilson and Pratt, I think are pretty solid at linebackers. I don't think they're great athletes. I think they're pretty good football players. Uh, David Gaither gives them; he's the third linebacker. He gives them all the bear stuff. Uh, but they've they've really struggled at the corner, uh, particularly uh, you know with uh, you know with Turner um, and uh, Woozy. Those two guys have really given up a lot of big plays. And Hilton is a tough. You know, he's a tough nickel, but he isn't the cover guy that Kenny is. He's like Kenny, he's small, he's aggressive, but he if you can get mm-hmm. a downs on him or a pitman on him with motion, uh, he is he's an average cover guy. Now, you know, they've gone with new safeties, Hill and Battle, both young kids, both really good talent, and I think they are improving. But you know, they lost a couple of really good guys and particularly Bates who was a huge playmaker for them. And, you know, it just doesn't seem like maybe they've recovered enough uh, without him. So, you know, that that's kind of the skivvy on them. You know, when you look at the overall picture, 
points give it up, which I look for. Right. They're number 22. Uh, we don't really have an accurate QBR yet, but if you go on Sunday night, it's 84. And what's <laughs> the things that have kept them alive, and you know, or the, or they're lucky to be six and six, is their turnover differential. You know, they're plus nine, so they take care of the ball and they take it away. So that's kind of been their eraser. They don't have many penalties. They're only three. So you know, those are the things that make them. I, I think in reality they don't stop the run. They don't run it very well. I don't think in the long haul they can protect the rookie and the defense has fallen over the cliff. Again, it's those areas, though, the turnover ratio, the takeaway, giveaway, and the lack of penalties that is really keeping them competitive. And then, again, a quarter quarterback who has a sensational yeah. game. All right, well, let's talk about the blueprints now. Get ready for the Bengals first on offense, which we've talked about now, got to buy backup Jake Browning and a little bit of a background on him. All right, he originally entered league as a college free agent signee of Minnesota way back in 2019. We say way back because that's a long time in NFL years. Uh, spent two seasons, the 19 and 20 seasons, on the Vikings practice squad, then was on the Bengals practice squad for the past two years after being waived by Minnesota at the final cutdown in 2021. He made the 53-man roster coming out of training camp for the first time this year, then spent the first 11 games of the season backing up Joe Burrow, and then again last Monday was just his second start of any kind since the 2019 Rose Bowl, Rick, when he started at, at Washington, yep. and he balled out against the Jaguars, became the first undrafted player in the common era to throw for more than 350 passing yards and complete 85% of his passes. And he still has studs on offense. Jamar Chase has gone over 1,000 yards again. T. Higgins has been in and out of the lineup this year with injuries, but he came back last week, and he's been over 1,000 yards in each of the last two mm -hmm. years coming into this season. Um, they're dead last right now in rushing yards per game at 82 per, but Joe Mixon's still a very dangerous runner. He ran very hard on Monday against the Jaguars, and he went over 6,000 career rushing yards last week, and he ranks third in rushing in team history. And they also have rookie Chase Brown, who you talked about. Out of Illinois, he runs really hard. He notched a 31-yarder uh, in Jacksonville. That was the longest rush of the season for the Bengals. So that's kind of the lead-up and the skinny on the Bengals' offense, Rick. So give us what else we need to know about them on offense. Now got to buy Browning heading into the blueprints. Yeah, we, we pretty much have covered the, the personnel part of it. Just just technical, just some of the specifics. On first down, they're going to try to pound us with mm -hmm. Mixon in the zone game, you know, and finesse fast stuff on the edge. With Brown, um, they, they run a lot of RPOs, uh, and he's very good at it. He has a real quick delivery. A lot of that is is dive to uh, Mixon, tied in with a quick screen to, uh, to chase. And, you know, that can be de very dangerous. They'll run a lot more boots with him on the edge. I think they ran five Monday night, uh, which they would never run with uh, Burroughs, and he's good at throwing on the run, that deep corner route with the crosser coming. Um, you know, a lot of play action. On, on second down, they're like most people. A lot of it is just try to get back second and long. You know, West Coast quick rhythm, draws, screens, uh, a lot of screens to chase and mix in when they get in trouble. Um, I will say this, Browning will take a shot uh, to chase at any time. It doesn't matter if it's third and two. If you undress him, uh, he'll try to get him the ball. 
Also, alert Higgins. Higgins has always traditionally been a primary guy in the low red because of that length and because of that jump ball ability. Um, I just say on third down, the the one thing I, I would say be alert for is a lot of possessions, like if it's third and four to seven, a lot of possession stuff. That's where Boyd's, that's kind of his role and Hudson's role. So, you know, alert with those guys on 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 possessions. Now, in terms of our blueprint, our defensive blueprint, okay, number one, we absolutely have to stop mixing. He is a pro bowler. He's coming in with 961 total yards and seven TDs. He's physical in the hole, even though they're rushing, you know, doesn't show it. But he has talent. He can cut it back or bounce it. You know, and when they get down low inside that tent, they're going to feed it to him. I think he had two scores in there. Brown came in and, again, added the burst. Uh, and, you know, without Burroughs, look for them, just like they did Sunday, a lot of feeding, the mixing in Brown early, a lot of RPOs, take the pressure off, quick screens. You know, and whenever they get in trouble, you know, they get behind in account, screen to Mixon. So we got to make sure Brown and Mixon are not factors. Number two, and I could have made this number one, you have to control Chase. I mean, Chase is the go-to guy. Uh, they'll, they're going to try to isolate him on Jones this week and shots for big plays. You know, he's got already 86 catches, 1,063. He's got seven TDs and 506 yards of, of yak. I mean, including the big bomb Monday night. He is ambient all the way. Go-to guy. Don't let him come in and tread us now, and they're going to move him away. They will get it to him, you know, but you got to control him. No big plays. Make him keep working, but we have to scheme him. Don't think that we're going to line up and play one-on-one on Chase all day. I think number three, and because you have to, you know, have coverage to Chase, I think what's really important then is how do you play the other guys within the scheme. And I think with Higgins, you know, he's big and tall, but he's a four five nine. I think you play him hard and tight. I don't think you – I think you smother him at the line. You don't let him get access and then be ready to go up. Now, we have length at corner, so we can go up and play the 50-50 ball. But – and, again, alert, particularly in the red zone, you know, because they do like that size. we got to handle Boyd, I think, primarily on third and four to five. So – you know, that'll primarily be Kenny with help from linebackers inside. Just know that if it's in those situations like that, third and four to seven, that just really be alert for those options, verticals. That's what he does. And then I would say, again, don't go to sleep on Hudson. You know, particularly in the seam when they go play action, don't let him get a big play down in there. Uh, he has vertical speed, decent possession rubber, and he seems to be a – favorite of the quarterback okay we got to keep the pressure on browning i mean that monday night thing that's just wow i i I can't even go through those numbers and believe them uh but you got to always mix and match versus a rookie one thing you know and i consider him a rookie because he's only started one other game and close the edges on him don't you know he gets really good out there on the edge on those bootlegs don't let him get out there don't let him get out there keep him enclosed they're going to move him with stuff you know, big RPO, RPO. you know, again, we got to have good rush discipline because he is competitive and athletic. He will take off and run, so close off his escape lanes. Make him stay in the pocket. Mix your pressures. 
because I think we can win up front. I do think that his accuracy was good Monday, but I've seen it be inconsistent, okay? I think Taylor just did a good job with him. He played him conservatively, and then he got going, and then he exploded. I think number five, and I think this is the critical thing, and this is why don't give up big plays and don't let them get yardage on first down running, because then if you get them in second and long, I believe we can dominate the offensive line. You know, they're 32 rushing the ball, and they're 23 in sacks. I think Brown and Williams, even though they're glamorous type guys, I don't think they can handle our athleticism on the edge. They can't handle speed to come near. I think Volson is really stiff on the left side, and Kappa on the right guard can't recover. So anything of movement, stunts there, Texas exits, he is not going to recover. This is another team that if we can get the advantage, the long-yarded situations, I think they're going to be overmatched against our front. And I also think they're very vulnerable to blitz, you know, particularly on their left side, but even on their right side. What I notice is if you run like a linebacker right at the offensive tackle, let's say you run him right at the offensive tackle, but you have an end outside, the tackle will always close to the blitz. And I've seen free sacks. I saw T.J. Watt two weeks ago, just get an absolute free sack because the tackle will always protect inside. So, you know, use your five-man blitzes, but always attract that tackle either side with that edge guy coming over the edge. All right, that's Rick Venturi right there. That's inside football. That's the blueprint on the Bengals' offense. I'm Matt Taylor, and let's shift down, and uh, let's talk about the Bengals on defense on the other side of the football here. And, Rick, that's a unit that's – as you said in the big picture, it's kind of fallen off a cliff, at least statistically from last season. Uh, they're 27th against the run. They've only held four teams to under 100 yards on the season. 27th against the pass, and they've allowed at least 250 passing yards in seven straight games. And they're also dead last in total yards allowed, giving up over 400 yards per game in three of the last four outings. But uh, despite the bad numbers, they've still got some some game records, especially guys yep. up front in their front seven. They've got Sam Hubbard. He's a Cincinnati native. He's got 34.5 career sacks. Trey Hendrickson has a sack in three straight games and leads the team overall with 11.5 sacks. And he's one of five players league-wide with double-digit sacks in at least three of the past four seasons. And then linebacker Logan Wilson. This guy plays with his hair on fire. He can tackle and he can cover. He's on pace to lead the team in tackles for the third straight year. And he also has 10 career picks. That's the most by any NFL linebacker since he broke into the NFL in 2020. So um, going back to the big picture on their defense, Rick, what are the big reasons why they have collectively, again, kind of fallen off on that side of the ball a season after kind of riding that unit to the playoffs last year? Well, you know, you kind of hit it. I mean, these are unbelievably bad statistics after being the elite defense Mm -hmm. they were in 21 and 22. It's just kind of crazy. And you pretty much talked about the individuals, which I'll cover more in the back in the, the uh, must. Mm-hmm. But when you just just tactically, what they're going to do is they're going to give us an over front and a bear. They're like everybody else on what I call unknown downs. A lot of single high uh, fire zones, a little bit of four, but not much. They really like to bring the nickel Hilton and the Mike, um, you know, on different situations on first and second down. Uh, also, just one thing to be alert for, which means something to your quarterback and your receivers, 
they will bring the nickel and they will roll to that side. We call it a two-roll trap. And if your corner, if your quarterback's not ready for that, if he thinks he can throw hot into the flat, that doesn't, you know, that corner is waiting to trap him. I used a lot of that in my day, and it's kind of old school, which, uh, you know, their coordinator has a lot of old school in him. Now, third down is when they get really high volume, and this is what you'd like to stay out of, okay, because they do a little bit of everything. They get an even, and they'll walk up. Wilson and Pratt, they'll either blitz them or drop out, blitz or bluff. Um, they're not afraid to zero blitz at all times uh, where they'll bring Hilton off one side and Pratt off the other side and play zero behind it. And what they major in on third down, and you know, you got to be really sharp here, is delta dime. Now, what I always mean, just to re- reestablish that, delta means the three-man line with two linebackers, a dime, another back in there, and then, you know, so you're you're basically playing – uh, you're playing a 3-2-6 uh, with six defensive backs. Now, what's tough about that is with Pratt and Wilson, they have either guy is interchangeable. I usually call one the mic and one the spinner, and it's usually pretty well defined. The spinner meaning the guy that becomes the fourth guy in the rush. Well, with this team, because they're both very like players, they're interchangeable, so it's hard to identify necessarily who is the mic. Now, from that, he will wheel and deal. There's times that he'll rush three and play max coverage. Not much, unless it's really third and long. So he's going to bring four a lot, which means, you know, one of those one of those linebackers is rushing. And then he'll bring five, which means both of them will be rushing. And then he'll run a lot of six-man blitzes, sometimes with kind of the – it's kind of the new order in the National Football League – you bring six, you play two short and three deep, kind of a zone uh, six-man blitz or a six-man blitz zero. Again, going back to what you said personnel-wise, you know, premier rusher in Hendrickson and a real complimentary rusher in Hubbard and actually the young kid Hill. Um, amazingly, you know, the struggles they've had is they've looked so soft on the run. You know, Reader at one time, you know, we thought he was really a space-eating uh, nose tackle, but I haven't seen it, and people have been able to just pound right at him. And then to add insult to injury, they haven't tackled very well in the back end, and they've given up big plays. So you know that leads to, you know that leads to, uh, to you know scoring defense twenty two, total defense thirty two. I mean that that's just absolutely amazing. And rush defense twenty seven, pass twenty seven. So. But what's keeping them alive, okay, I tell you what, what's keeping them alive, though, is situational defense. They're 17th in the red zone, so they're a little bit better in the red zone. You know, they're, four, they're, they're 14th on third down, and if they get advantage, they're 15 in sacks. Takeaways number eight. So, they're, you know, despite the big-picture bad stuff, when you peel the onion, there's enough good stuff to stay alive. And I, I still think they're better than they're playing this year. So it's a little bit like Tennessee. It always scares me a little bit when I know a team's better than they've been playing. Now, as far as our our blueprint for victory on offense, uh, it it just starts. I I think we're built to beat this team. We just have to pound their front seven. I mean, that that 4.8 per, we have to confirm that. I mean, you know, expect a little bit more bear, but pound it inside, pound it off tackle with gap blocking and edges. I say that every week. 
Also, what I think is there against this team, even against Bear, is a hard cutback. Start to the right, get it all the way back to the C-gap. Their linebackers will go really hard, and they're really vulnerable to those backside cutbacks all the time. Again, soft interior, don't tackle well. You want to run it. You want to be in advantage after first down. What we want to stay away from is those third down packages that I talked about. You got to protect the edges. Their best players are on the edges. You know, you talked about Hendrickson, two-time Pro Bowler, now up to 53 and a half sacks off their right side and 11 strips. Hubbard, 35 and a half sacks. He gives them versatility. Um, you know, he lines up on their left. He'll pop inside some, but I think they're going to really try to attack. If you know, I don't know what the uh, you know what the what the de- destination of, ba- of Braden is right now, but if it's Freeland, he has a lot of trouble still with power rushers, and I think that's where Hubbard is very very capable. Number three, I think we really have to attack their corners. I think we caught a break here, uh, and he didn't play last week, but Taylor Britt is by far their best corner. He was put on IR. But I think Turner and Awuzie has have really had trouble. They want to be a man team. I want, They want to pressure you and play man, but they're struggling right there. Hilton, I talked about, really tough at the nickel on the run and blitzes and in zone coverage. But if we can get him isolated, either you know with a downs or a pitman, uh, inside, I, I think he struggles. He doesn't have the coverage ability that Kenny has. Uh, their safeties uh, are young and talented and getting better, but they, I think the loss of Bates has hurt them overall. Um, mostly on unknown downs, that is first and ten, uh, second and uh, six or less. Um, they're going to undress those corners. They're going to, you know, they're going to make a commitment. They know that run defense is bad. And they know the only way to beat us is to take that away totally. So, again, I, you know, I look for that, attack them. Also, their underneath coverage uh, is poor with boots and good play action because their linebackers will bite. They will really go. So anything that is a misdirection or a hard freeze, there's going to be a lot of second-level openings. Number four, and I think this is really key, and this is why you want to stay ahead in the count, you got to protect blitz packages, and they'll blitz on every down just differently. On first down, you'll get a single fire off the edge, like a nickel fire, or you'll get a safety cat off the weak side. Now, once you get into passing downs, then it's Anarumo's high volume, okay? The mugs, the double mugs, and sometimes it's a blitz and sometimes mm-hmm. it's a bluff. A lot of zero blitzes, saw, which means coming off of both edges, be prepared for that. And then, again, I discussed the Delta. we got to be able to handle that and make sure you know that Wilson and Pratt, can one of them can come or both of them can come, and they bring both of them a lot. And so, you know, identification is really important. Expect six-man blitzes. You know, Tennessee did that effectively in the red zone. Expect a lot of that. Yeah. Lock them up and beat them. And then I think number five, is generate explosive plays. This is a team that you can get explosive plays, okay? You know, first of all, they don't cup the ball. I always study that having been a secondary coach. They don't cup it well. In other words, if a ball breaks out, they're never really where they're keeping that thing inside and front. They're kind of all over the place, and I think it's because they have a lot of young guys in that secondary. They're not good there, and so that makes them vulnerable. 
Uh, I also, and, and sometimes when you don't have a well cup, you end up missing a lot of tackles. So I think our players, and I think this is mental sometimes, you got to think score when you're in the second level. You know, you got to create offensive plays with our outside receivers like we did last week and with our ball carriers. Okay, the other thing is we got to improve from last week. Now, we've been good overall, but we got to improve in the red zone. We were one for five, you know, and they play decently in the red zone. So that's, you know, that's got to be a challenge. We got to fix our problems from last week. You know, and, and my suggestion is, you know, kind of do what we've been doing all year. We've been very successful. Last week they were able to stop Moss and they were able to stop the quarterback run last week, which has been a big part of our red zone. And so my suggestion is to a little bit more of what we did to win the game, you know, with the walk-off, is a little bit more Pittman, Pittman, Pittman when we get particularly in that low red. That's Rick Venturi on his blueprints to beat the Cincinnati Bengals for the Colts trying to win five straight games. And to close out here, Rick, I mean, Cincinnati, this is a franchise that's that's used to winning lately, right? They've played in back-to-back AFC championship games. They went to a Super Bowl two years ago, um, and they've got a chance to get hot. They're 6-6. Six and six. Um, They still feel like with Jake Browning playing some good football here, they've got a chance to get back into the playoff mix with a win on Sunday in you know, we talked about the Colts' schedule. Um, if you look at the Bengals' schedule, of their five remaining opponents, only the Chiefs have their starting quarterback healthy. That includes, you know, this game on Sunday for the Colts. You know, I don't know how you want to label Gardner Minshew, but he is a backup quarterback <laughs> technically, I suppose. But they haven't lost a December football game since 2021, winning seven straight games in the month, and they've won 13 of their last 17 home games dating back to the 2021 season. So they call it the jungle down in Cincinnati. It's a tough place to play when that place is fired up. And these games just keep on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, the Bengals win, Rick, on Monday. It's made, uh, you know, a big game even more spicier than we initially thought about four or five days ago. Yeah, and maybe that's really a good team because when you've won four in a row, yeah. you know, you, you, you want to take a deep breath, and then you watch that game Monday and go, ain't got no time for a deep breath, you know, really. I mean, it hit me because I thought, you know, Cincinnati looked to me almost like a, a take-it game, but, you know, after Monday night, but you know, now it becomes a, the, the, the I-74 championship, you know. But, you know, in the end, you know, these things, like you said, they just – December just gets bigger and bigger, and the Bengals' shocking performance – it just tells you to take another classic effort. You know, I think the Colts are built, though, to beat the Bengals, I think with our powerful offensive line and our ability to rush the passer and ruin a young quarterback's day. I think we're built for that, okay? They're going to be energized early, you know, after a signature win uh, and being back in the jungle. But we have to take that out of them early. This is a game that you want to hit them in the face uh, pound their defense physically, swarm and dominate early. Like I said, you want you want to take that little bit of juice they got coming in, and you, you know you got to take that out of them. And and you know they you know because they haven't won consistently, their confidence could be very very short lived. You know, th- and this is a day the way I look at it. When we get on that bus, we get over there. You just don't go over there to hope it's going to go our way. Mm-hmm. You literally have to take it from them. I mean, this is shaping up to be another dogfight for the I-74 championship and the NFL playoffs, you know. And uh, like I said, it's a dogfight, but I, I like our dog in a fight. Uh, just <laughs> attack them, 
Uh, don't look back. Don't take any prisoners. You know, I'm, that's all I'm saying. No doubt. All right, Sunday can't get here soon enough, man. That's the breakdown from Rick Venturi here on Inside Football with the Blueprints. And get ready for Sunday, Rick. It's it's potentially going to be cold, going to be rainy down there on the banks of the Ohio. But, you know, this is December football, man. That's the way we like it. And a lot on the line here in Week 14. Yeah, absolutely why we do this. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when you when the people tune in uh, later today, uh, when they tune in to get the podcast, I'm going to recommend that they take a look at Matt Taylor's call on that <laughs> fine on the big play and the touchdown. Because if you don't think for one second that we're not into the game, <laughs> I'm telling you, you will you will learn on this one. I mean, it's... This is better by you had better body language than Tip Pittman did on the touchdown. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah, we were into the game. There's no doubt about it. Well, you happened right in front of us, so that's why you know the body language was there on that 55 yard bomb to Alec Pierce because the play unfolded right on the sideline, right in front of us, and we had a really good look at it. So. Yeah, in those moments, you just try not to screw it up, my friend. So I think we, we acquitted ourselves decently in that situation right there. So I appreciate the love, man. You're the best as always. Get ready for that bus ride. As I said, this is the only road trip in the NFL, as far as I'm aware, where, Rick, one team takes a bus. This is like minor league baseball here. Uh, the Colts will take a bus to Cincinnati. The Colts and the Bengals are the closest geographical cities in the NFL. So load up that cell phone, get a few movies ready to go, and we'll see you uh, down in Cincinnati. Get ready for some Chili Mac. Are you a Skyline guy? I am. I, You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I just love the whole deal. I mean, nobody loves bus rides to me. I mean, this is, you know, maybe it goes back to my age and my in my generation, but yeah. hell, this is like this is like when you were at Runcali coming up to play Garen, man. I'm just just getting the bus, put your pads in the back seat, and go. That's a little bit different, but yeah, the vibe is the vibe is still there. We still had rush hour traffic trying to get to the north side, but we'll have a little bit of a probably a little bit of police escort on the on the way across the border from Indiana to Ohio. So outstanding job, Rick. Always appreciate the breakdown, uh, and we'll see you on Saturday, getting ready for a big game on Sunday. See you before you get on that bus there. Okay, man. We'll talk to you. All right. Rick Venturi, fantastic per usual, getting ready for some Skyline Chili coming up this weekend. Certainly they'll have some in the press box per usual. But I'm Matt Taylor, and that'll do it for this week's installment of Inside Football, Colts and the Bengals. For more on this game, of course, later this week, keep it locked uh, right here on the Colts Audio Network. Two editions of the official Colts podcast, one that came out on Tuesday, another one that's coming out on Thursday featuring myself and Bill Brooks and Casey Vallier. And we will talk to you next week on this particular podcast, breaking down Colts and Steelers week 15. Remember, that game has been moved, not moved, but announced for a Saturday game, December 16th at 4.30 in the afternoon at Lucas Oil Stadium. Colts and Steelers, that'll be the focus next week here on Inside Football with Rick Venturi. Good night, Matt Taylor. We'll talk to you next week. Colts and Bengals this Sunday. Thanks for breaking it all down with us here on the Colts Audio Network. So long.